0: I want you to open up in 1 Kings chapter number 18. The reason the series is coming along is because there are many voices on the outside. There was a study done by Harvard, I think it was Harvard, where they took three people, uh, four people, three of them actors. They drew four lines and uh, the variables in the story may be different, but uh, but the conclusion remains the same. They drew four lines. One of the lines they drew longer than the other three lines and the brought in everybody in turn said to them, which one is different to the others. And the first actor came out, said number one, second actor came out, said number one, third actor came out, said number, uh, as the guy, which one he said, clearly number three, which is the longer line. And the other one said they did this six times or something like that. And by the seventh time, the fourth person who wasn't the actor came out and agreed with the, with the actors. That number two was different group pressure. Uh, You can go and try and search for that and see if you can find it. If somebody finds it, send it to me. I'll share it on the U Groups network. But that tells us that if you are, people are more interested in fitting in than they are with truth. And so if the outside world begins and shouts loud enough that Christians are fools, How long will it be before those who are in the Christian community begins to say, well, I don't want to lose out on that because it affects my career. It begins to affect my children in school. It begins to affect how I can walk around in community with my head held high. And you should, in spite of those accusations. And so we have to have a firm grasp on what we actually believe and affirm as truth. Now, truth, there's... There's, we have, you live your truth. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth. There is our perception of it and our opinion of it, but our opinion and perception of it doesn't change the fact of what it is. Truth is truth. And the Word of God says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And um, Jesus is truth. And this is what Scripture teaches us. So with all these accusations out there, one of the things that we, we misunderstand is that the church is supposed to be just a nice place. We have the words called church hurt. Anytime anyone is corrected, they feel church hurt. Anyone, somebody is um, challenged in their conviction, they can, sh- they can shout back at us, I'm now church hurt. And we inside the church can easily feel like we're being rejected or uh, pushed out or um, isolated from the world in which we live. I want to read to you a story from First Kings and show you that this is how the children of God in the Bible has already, uh, always suffered those same consequences. In First Kings 18, we read about the small guy called Elijah, a little prophet, Elijah. Elijah is dealing with a guy called Ahab who is the king and this little lady you might have heard of before called Jezebel. Now Elijah and Ahab has led his people back into Baal worship, the worship of the Canaanite gods. And as he has led them back to that, God has an issue with that and you have Elijah, Elijah comes out and and says... There will be a drought because of what you've done. This is in 1 Kings chapter number 18, verses 17. Then it happened when Ahab, now, now God says to Elijah, go show yourself to, to Ahab and I will send rain again. Now no person has the ability to stop the rain, only God has. And so they're upset with Elijah because of what God did. But this is what happens. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to, to, said to him, is that you? Oh troubler of Israel. This is the the identity assigned to this prophet by the king. The king says to Elijah, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Is that you, O troubler of Israel? So Elijah is doing the work of God and the king calls him a troubler. The king is out of order. The king is out of line and out of step with what God wants. The prophet who speaks on God's behalf is not welcomed with a welcoming party, a dinner party, a banquet thrown in his name. He is called a troubler of Israel because of what he stands for. We are wanting to be included, accepted, and not rejected. And therefore, we trouble nothing. We try and be as little trouble to the world and the status quo of how things are. We don't want to offend nothing. He says to him, oh, is that you, O troubler of Israel? How perverted is that to assign blame for problems to God's church? Now, there are many people who have a problem with not our church alone, all the churches around, and Christianity in general, because their lives are falling apart, and now they shout church hurt. The problem is most of these people who say that never give anything, they just want to... People want you to tell the church what the church should do with their people's money while no one can tell them what they're doing because they're unaccountable. He says to them, you, O troubler of Israel. You hear what he says? And he answered, said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the balls. Now therefore send and gather. So, so he's telling him the reason there is no rain is not because I prophesied it. My prophecy was in response to your actions. So the issue that is in Israel that you're calling me the troubler of Israel is because I was a prophetic voice that said that that is wrong. So sometimes things we can begin to happen in the macro environment because there's a voice that shouts, that's not right. But the things that happen is not because the voice shouted. It's because God is against those things. And sometimes the problems that we have in our world is not, not the church. It's us. And the church is the voice that shouts, get out from that and get back to God. The church is supposed to be a person and a people pointing people back to Jesus Christ. He calls him a troubler of Israel. When was the last time somebody called you a troubler? Now, I'm not in agreement with you rushing to the colonnade shopping mall or the Menlo Park shopping mall or wherever you live or stay, taking the Bible with you and a guy's having a smoothie. You sit at his table and say like, yeah, there's a sondar. You look like a sinner, you need Jesus. What are you wearing? You, uh, that's not how you win people for Jesus. The goodness of God leads people to repentance. You, you don't lead people to repentance by pointing out their sins. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. People don't get saved because you pointing at their sin. They know they're living in sin. They just don't want to accept it yet. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in their hearts, They'll, they'll get to a place where they can understand that this is wrong. But what you can do is display the love of God and the goodness of God. But at the same time, Jesus was accused of hanging with sinners, not sinning with sinners. Jesus wasn't sinning with them, but he was around them because they're not toxic in the sense that that's... I mean, if, I, if, if Jesus hung around sin and sin it was like a cold in the sense that Jesus, Jesus knew who he was. And he wasn't influenced by them. He was influencing them because you have a tax collector who's now become repentant. And you have a guy called Zacchaeus who Jesus said nothing about his finances who said, now I will go and give back. The result of Jesus' presence in their lives is a changed life. But Jesus was accused of hanging with sinners. But he he didn't become a sinner because of hanging with them. The point I want to try to make is Elijah was called a troubler of Israel. If there is a church and a people that believes in God, but they look the same as everyone else. What's the point? It's called a city on a hill who cannot be hidden. But if the city looks like every other city, what's the point? There has to be a clear contrasting difference between those who profess to know Jesus because of the apostles, it was said, this man, was not trained. It was clearly not trained, but he, you could see that he was with Jesus. Find me that verse that says, and he was with Jesus. Put that on the screen when you're ready with it. It was said of them that he was with Jesus. There was a difference between those who hung out with Jesus and those who did not. There was a clear and vivid difference between those who knew him, those who didn't. And if we are a healthy church, our health should be visible. What we profess to have should be able to be discerned by those who don't have it. There it is. Now when they said, saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. They marveled. Because the results that is now in their lives, these men had been with Jesus. When we traveled in the USA, it wasn't difficult for Chanel and I to look at people and go like, Yo, that one is rich. You could see it on them. You could see wealth on them. Now, in the same way, you should be able to see Jesus on people. You should be see, able to see Jesus on people's lives. And the question is, do people see Jesus in this church? If we're judgmental, they won't. If we find fault, they won't. And if we are rules based, a rules-based church, there are rules in the Bible. You can make, do whatever you want with that. There are rules in the Bible. You, you can't get away with it. But we're not supposed to make rules. You can't wear that type of shoes, or you can't wear that type of clothing, or you can't wear that type of haircut, or you don't have a tattoo. We make these rules, that's not godly. That's your own perception of holiness. It's got nothing to do with Jesus, that's your own. If we do these things, people will look at us and go like, I don't understand. But when they can see the love of God in us, and they see that we've spent time with Jesus, there's no denying that there is life in that place. That's what we wanna get to. Ephesians 4.11 says, I'll skip it. I'll get back to that one. Let's go to Acts chapter number 17. Then Paul and his custom went into them for three Sabbaths. What what people want to read here is then Paul went in and planted a soup kitchen. Because soup kitchen is more important to the church than the gospel. No, the primary function of the church is to preach the gospel. You can do whatever you want to do about this. Nowhere in the scripture is there a direct command like the command, go, this is the great, we call it the great commission. To go and make disciples. This is what we do. Now, helping people who don't have food is a result of our love for people. But then we, so we, we give them food because we love them. We love them because we are discipled and taught this is how we, we respond. So we start with discipleship first. I, I, you can't get a guy on the street and tell them the ways of the church if they're not saved yet. And it starts in your own houses with your domestic workers. If you have a domestic worker and you insist on paying while you're able to, I understand if you are barely making it and you don't have food to eat and you're working on a minimum wage and you're looking after your domestic worker. But if you have a domestic worker and you're of means and you pay her a minimum wage salary, don't talk about the church. If you have staff and you're paying them minimum wage, the the bottom that you can pay them and their salary increases are 6%, the minimum that you can give per, per, per year and you don't even barely give that to them. Don't talk about what the church is doing with its finances because you are leading by your own example. And the same measure that you share, you're judging others by. And this is what the church is supposed to be doing is having all of us participate in being Christians wherever we lead. You can go on YouTube, just check this out. Go onto YouTube and then you check out the honor video about the construction of this building. And what you'll see is about a 10 minute video of every face of every laborer that worked on this construction site. Then you go and search for other construction companies and see if they've ever posted a video about their laborers, minimum wage laborers, those day wage laborers of them working on their site saying thank you. We did that. Every now and then when we worked late at night, after hours, I would go and buy them KFC, two piece meals for every, not I could go buy them bread and milk, or I could go buy them KFC. I bought them KFC every single time. Every time we gave them, if they worked after hours, we would give everybody that's working here a can of cream, not cream soda, Coca-Cola. We would give them Coke or water or whatever they needed, not water, because that's free. But we would give our stuff and we would pay them extra. They got their overtime and we would give them extra. Every now and then we gave them a bonus. All the laborers that worked on this site got bonuses at the end of the year, which no other construction company would give to temporary workers. All of them got a bonus because this is our responsibility. None of that's on video. And so when you employ people, your responsibility as a Christian is to make sure that when you employ them, their employment is different with you than it is with other people. Then the Christian community is standing up and doing something different. But if your domestic worker is getting the basic salary, don't talk about the church just wanting money. The problem is you want money. And you're robbing your your domestic worker because you are using every loophole to keep as much as you can. You're not a cheerful giver. Went into them and for the three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, so Paul went into the city and his task was the doctrine. His task was not social work. This is the Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded... But the Jews who were not persuaded, it sounds like 2024. There are people who are not persuaded, becoming envious, looking at that. Like there's a mall, looks like a mall. What are you building there? Becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace that the marketplace is businesses and yes, and gathered a mob said all the city gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they're taken security from Jason, the rest, they let him go. They, they had an issue out of Jason. He only had a guest speaker coming to his church, but they dragged him out. People of the city got envious and upset because they're not persuaded of their conviction and they turned against Paul and they said, these people are turning their world upside down. This is in the new Testament. And I want to say to you, if you are filled with the Holy spirit, That's the end result. You're going to turn the cities upside down. You're going to turn your worlds upside down. You're going to cause people to go into uncomfortable reflections. They will have to, because you're in the room, have to question their own moral convictions. They will have to question their own moral behaviors. When I went, after I got saved at the age of 18, I was a drunkard. Not me. I don't mean so. Who spent too much drinking, time drinking. When I got saved, my friends would invite me for about six or seven months. Plisbiness. Uh, uh, you know, they would invite me back to their parties and I would end up standing in that party not drinking. And it would take me five minutes and I would stand there and I would have a group of people standing around me and I would confess and and, and, and witness to them about Jesus who saved my life. And most of those parties would end up dry and some of them ended up people not drinking. That was the result of a person in the room who has a conviction that is causing that conviction. They stopped inviting me because I messed up their parties. I sat with Pastor Louis in a, a restaurant in, in Durban. And he was sitting around our dinner table. It's a business meeting with my family and his families. And we were talking about some of the construction business that we were in at the time. And he was there as a guest and I was there as a guest. We're sitting there, he was sitting there with his Jack Daniels. He, that whole Jack Daniels, the ice melted. He never drank it. Because I was sitting there witnessing about Jesus. I turned his world upside down in that moment, and as he, he just had to work through these things in his mind. He actually believed and got saved. There are many others who didn't. And now they're upset. This is the church's responsibility to preach the gospel, but if you water it down, it's no longer the gospel. Amen. I want to close with just three things. The church exists to minister unto God. The person, the, one of the missions and the purposes of the church is to minister unto God. Our purpose is to worship God. When we come together, Paul says to the Colossian church, let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16. I'm reading it too fast. Let the message. Of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with a gratitude in your heart. We're supposed to worship God. When we come together, the worship doesn't prepare us to present the word. Worship in itself is an isolated event to worship God. It, It does prepare the atmosphere. It does prepare the heart. But the purpose of it is to give praise to God and to glorify God. The purpose of coming together, because a choir, when you go to uh, a play or let's say an orchestra, there's something different about an orchestra versus one guy sitting there with, we determine the value and the power of the party is determined by those that show up. Now, if we say we are the church and He is the Lord, and we show, and we think we worship by ourselves, alone by our houses, we're not adding our voice to the choir of heaven. It is when we come together that our voice is unified, because He's waiting for a unified church. So we all come to the unity of our faith. To come together and say, my voice is added to the collective voice. And every voice that is added is make this, makes this voice louder as we worship God collectively and together. There is something about worshiping God together. There is something in the melody of song. We can't talk together, but we can sing together. If everybody begins to talk, we can't make sense of it. But if we begin to sing together, there is something that happens in song. I can't elaborate, don't have enough time, but the devil was cast out of heaven. He led worship. He says, my covering was timbrels and pipes. Timbrels and pipes works when wind moves through it. We liken the Holy Spirit to a wind. And every time the Holy Spirit would move past Lucifer in heaven, he would make a noise unto God. He would make a sound and worship was led by Lucifer. He was cast out of heaven. Now maggots and stuff is his covering, it's in the Bible. Now that worship responsibility has fallen on the church. And every time he he sees us come together and worship God, he was reminded of what he gave up. That's why he hates you because he can't ever do what you're doing right now. The church exists to worship God. The church exists to minister to one another, minister to believers. The church has an obligation to nurture those who are already believers and build them up. Paul said that the goal was not simply to bring people to initial faith. Colossians says, uh, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. Saving grace gets you saved; it doesn't stop there, because if it was just saving grace, you wouldn't have any of the churches established. A church is not needed if saving grace is all that's needed. You don't need to school if you don't. You don't need to go to school if you don't need to learn how to read and write. If you can talk but have no need for reading and writing, you don't need to go to school. Why would you come to church? If you're saved and you're once saved, always saved, and you have no need of, of studying the scriptures, why would you need a church? You need the church because we are ministering to one another and we are building one another up and so the church can help you grow into a mature Christian. And a mature Christian is someone that wants to go to church because he understands. When you grow in God, you realize you're so, the more you know him, the more you dependent you become on him. The more you realize you're lost without him. The more you realize that you can't make anything happen without him. And the more you mature in God, the more you want to know God. The more you study God, the more you realize you have to study God. This happens from maturity. You have no issue with mature Christians because they're in place because of their fear of God. We are here to serve one another and build one another up. Corinthians says, I told you already we are likened to a body, and each person is a member of the body. Now, my body uses my head, my brain, sends a signal through my spine and to all my limbs. My hand is doing weird things while I'm holding the mic here. see, it's just doing things. But it can't do those. I can't do those things if I didn't have a hand. Look like this. I need the hand to do this. And my hand is holding the mic. And I can't be preaching to you if my hand refuses to hold the mic. What if my two, two hands just go like, not today, Now, if my hands are not working, I can't preach to you. If I walk up, when you go out of the gym and you've exercised and your legs are numb and you walk up these stairs, you can't walk up these stairs. You're falling up these stairs because your body is not working. The body of Christ is the same. If the pastor who holds the mic is the only one working, we're not working. I'm not called the body of Christ. You are. We are all members of it. You all have a part to play. Well, some people are confused. They thought that they're the slandering part. They've become the small voice that's in our head sometimes, standing in front of the mirror like, yes, faith. The body of Christ doesn't need a critical voice from you. It's His body. But we are all working together to minister to one another. Your gift that you got is not to make you famous. It's to help someone else. Yes. And then, thirdly, so we minister to God, we minister to one another, and we evangelize the world. Go into all the world, make disciples. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power, and you shall be a witness for me unto Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the extends Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the extends of the earth. We are to take what we get from God, and be a witness to our broken world. That there's a better way. There's a better life. It's a life where Jesus, when he steps into your world, can turn it upside down. Give you a purpose, give you a hope. We are the mouthpiece of God on the earth, salt. We're supposed to spread the gospel as far as we can. And God has placed you in different careers, different schools. You are God's voice there.